Um, generally speaking, <laughs> I'm not a gift giver, all right? I'm not a guy who speaks in the language of gifts. I don't think about gifts. Like, if I want to tell someone I love them, I tell them how awesome they are. And, and if I love you, and uh, you'll hear the word awesome a lot in that, okay? And so if I want to tell them how, how much I appreciate them, so I'm not a gift giver. Uh, I don't have the gift of giving. I, I do have the gift of receiving, and so if you'd like to give me gifts, I will gladly receive those, but I don't have the gift of giving. It's just not there. It's just not the way I express my love for people. And so uh, I'm usually, like if Clarissa and I would, were to get invited to some sort of uh, social party or gathering at someone's house, I'm not the one that usually... If, thinks of bringing a gift along. And you can just imagine a situation where, you know, I forgot to tell my wife about this event, and we go together, and we walk in the front door, and we walk in at the same time as another couple, and the other couple is holding like a $50 bottle of wine to give to the host. And we're holding nothing, you know, and you can imagine my wife swatting me and saying, did you forget about the gift? And so I would, in those cases, I would open my wallet, and I generally have nothing in there. (laughs) There might be a $5 bill. And so, you know, they, the person has their $50 bottle of wine, and I hold my $5 bill and say, here you go. Thanks for inviting us. I mean, it just doesn't seem appropriate, does it? I just feel like an idiot. What kind of gift, you know, would I have to offer a host when I don't think about it? And I think a lot of times, you and I, we have to ask the question, what kind of gift do we have to offer to God? The Bible kind of calls the kind of gift-giving that I'm talking today about today, sacrifice. The Bible kind of calls that kind of gift-giving sacrifice. Now, the concept of sacrifice in the Bible, starting in the Old Testament, is fabulous. To trace the Old Testament through and, and watch this concept of sacrifice unfold, uh, in, in the Old Testament, we could roughly say that there were five different types of sacrifice. Five different types, and uh, there's more and less, but they kind of fit into those five categories. And, and basically speaking, a priest would take an animal, and he would kill it, and the blood of that animal, generally speaking, would cover over for sins. And this sacrificial system was entwined throughout the Israelite culture and through its calendar. To the Israelites, God's people, sacrifice was really really important. Today I want to talk about the concept of sacrifice. It wasn't just something for the people of the Old Testament. It's for you and me today. I need some time to explain what I mean by that. I want to highlight some verses and concepts in this big section of Malachi that point us to answer this question, what kind of sacrifice should I offer to God? What kind of sacrifice should I offer? I want to point to three different types of sacrifice today. And we'll start in Malachi, and then we're going to bounce to the New Testament um, because there's some awesome concepts of sacrifice there for us. And so the first kind of sacrifice that I'd like to talk about today is a defiled sacrifice. I want to talk about a defiled sacrifice. Now we're in this series going through the motions. We're calling the series The Motions, more than just a habit. We're talking about from Malachi. And, and, you know, I remind you every week just a, a tad bit of context of when Malachi was written. Malachi was uh, most likely the last book 
of the Old Testament written before we had uh, 400 plus years of silence from God, uh, through Scripture anyway, until we see John the Baptist come on the scene. And so um, during the time of Malachi, the people had returned from exile. If you remember, we had just preached out the series of Haggai. And so we're about 85-ish years after Haggai had finished And so we have a new generation of people living in the land there. After the exile, they'd gone through the exile. God had had allowed the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem and the temple. He exiled a remnant of his people to Babylon. They were there for 70 years. They returned and they started rebuilding the temple. And after some delays and things that we talked about in Haggai, the temple was finally rebuilt. And uh, in that time... uh, we remember a few people, Ezra and Nehemiah came, and Nehemiah got all the walls to the city built, and some great things had happened, but a whole new generation of people had risen. They'd come up. They, 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 weren't, they weren't their parents. They didn't have those same experiences. They didn't remember what it was like to be in exile. They didn't remember these things. And so by the time we get to, uh, to Malachi, the people who are in the land had become disillusioned with God. And they were... They had been raised with things of God. They had done all the stuff, the God stuff, but they were disillusioned with God. Maybe you're here this morning and that's you. I mean, it's Easter, right? We get all kinds of people on Easter we've never seen before. It's great. We love you. Thanks for being here. You know, but maybe your mom drug you here, or maybe your parents drug you here, and you're disillusioned with God, and you're just doing this, hey, mom, dad, I love you. I'm here today. And you can relate to that. If that's you, you can relate to the people of Malachi. They understood what it was like to go through the motions. Like we talked about last week, all of us go through the motions with God at some point, in some way. The priests, you would think the priests, the religious leaders of all people in Malachi's day, you would have thought that if anyone had their heart in it and had this right, it would have been the priests. They were trained for this kind of stuff. They were the professionals they should have had this thing right, this worship of God. But if we read in Malachi, they didn't. They were no different than anyone else. They were supposed to be the intermediaries between God and the people, but they had become content, just like everybody else. They were going through the motions. They offered their sacrifices half-heartedly. They performed their religious duty without heart, with actions only. And we know that, friends, God cares most about our hearts. He cares about our hearts. He doesn't just want our actions. He wants our hearts. This was a problem for the priests because their hearts weren't in it. And so Malachi is structured with a bunch of questions. Malachi anticipates the kind of questions that the people would ask of him. He's a smart writer. He's thinking about objections to his prophecy, why he's writing. And so he, he asks the people's questions for them. And so in, uh, in Malachi, in this section we're, we're going to see today... Um, we see, it as, as we jump in here, we see that it's the priests who'd shown contempt for his name. Look at verse 6. A son honors his father. A servant honors his master. God says, if I'm a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests. I mean, do you see that? That should just scream off the page. Priests? What? It is you, O oh, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? 
Verse 7. You place defiled food on my altar. You see, their gifts were inadequate. They were defiled sacrifices. Well, let's get specific. They want to know, okay, God, so how do we defile you? You say we bring defiled sacrifices. What are you talking about? What have we done? And so in verse 8, the author gives us a hint. He said, Malachi says, and God says through Malachi, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is, not, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? The gifts were inadequate because they weren't perfect animals. God wants the first and the best for the sacrifice. God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants the first and the best. That's a theme that was throughout the Old Testament. When God set the law down, God said, here, listen to me. Here's what happens. When you make a sacrifice to me, I want the first and I want the best. I don't want the leftovers. So take whatever is your best animal, the perfect one, the one that's not got a broken leg, or the one you know, you're like, oh, I can't sell this or I can't do anything with it, so I'll just give this one to God because it's worthless. God wants our first and our best. You know, I, I've shared with you guys often that I have this dog, this Bernice Mountain dog. He's almost two now, and uh, he's 90-some pounds and just a joy some days. Um, <laughs> other days, he's not, um, especially with little ones in the house and a big bark. So that's not great when Livy's sleeping. But, uh, you know, one of the things that occasionally, very rarely at our house for the seven of us, I will go to Fairway, and I will look at their meat counter and drool, and I will break down and buy some expensive steaks for our family. It doesn't happen very often, but because there's a lot of us. And so uh, I'll get these expensive steaks, and I'll take them home, and I'll tenderize them, and Clarissa works her magic on the stuff, and then we throw them over the charcoal on the grill and cook them to perfection so they're just oh, nice and pink. Some of you like burnt stuff. I like pink stuff, you know. Maybe just a little hint of a little red in there. Oh, it's so good. And I cook them up just Perfect. I'm hungry. Anyone else hungry here? Um, so, <laughs> we have to stop now. No. Um, and so just perfect. I'll get them on the grill. I'll get the hardwood there with the grill so there's this nice smoky flavor. And we will uh, sit uh, around the table and we will enjoy steaks. And my kids love it. It's a real treat. And, you know, I like ribeyes. Ribeyes have a lot of fat in them, uh, and, which is why I like them. And so uh, at the end, of the end of the meal, inevitably... On everyone's plate are left the leftovers. They're hunks of fat and gristle and just the stuff that you don't want to eat, and so you just leave it there. And so I usually scrape that all onto one plate as we're cleaning up, and I'll take it to the kitchen, and there's my dog. And he's just looking at me with those eyes like, please, please, oh, please, please. So I'll take that plate over to Riker, I'll put it in his bowl, and I'll just scrape all that, and it's gone in about 20 seconds, flat, boom. He inhales it, and he is the happiest dog on the planet. I, you know, usually I don't know what's going to happen in about six hours, but, uh, you know, hey, he is the happiest dog. Riker is so content with our leftovers. God is not a dog. God does not want our leftovers. God is not Riker. He is not content with our least. God wants our best. Now, look at Malachi 1.10. God's so unpleased with them. I mean, and he went, just went through this whole process of rebuilding this temple and encouraging his people to do this, to place him first, be the priority in their lives. All this work, you know, 
a few decades ago, but okay, listen, verse 10. God says, oh, that one of you would just shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hands. God doesn't want the leftovers. Now, there's all kinds of applications that I could make here. You know, what kind of sacrifices are you bringing to the king? We could go with the money route, you know. Do you tip God? Do you just throw the 20 in that you've got left over after you went to the movies last night? Or, you know, those of you who come to church on, you know, just Christmas and Easter, you know, is that enough? You know, saying, hey, give God your best. Or we could go, you know, do you read the Bible for five minutes every day? Is that enough time? God doesn't want your leftover time. Or you could say, you know, maybe you're a good guy. Is that enough? I mean, these are all great applications that a lot of preachers would make. And I just would like to ignore those today. I would like to talk about inadequate gifts for the Almighty King. Look at verse 8. Think about this. Verse, the second half of verse 8, he says, Try offering these kind of gifts to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord. Okay, think of this as taxes, right? You know? You think the government would be happy if you just went, Let's see here. Well, the checking book's got $10 in it at the end of the year, so... Hey, guess what? The government gets $9 because I don't want to close my checking account. So government gets 9 Do you think they'd be happy with that? I mean, that's, that's God's point. You think the governor would be happy with your useless sacrifices? The things that they were offering to God weren't even good enough for taxes. Is there any gift that's adequate for such a great king? Is there any gift you could bring for such a great king? Imagine that you had an audience with the Queen of England. I think that would be cool. You know, you get to fly over to England, you go to Buckingham Palace. Is that where she's at? Whatever. Okay. You see, I know a lot about the monarchy. Okay, so you go and you get an audience with the the Queen of England, and you think, well, I I should bring a gift, you know? And I'm not going to ask Dave, because we know Dave doesn't bring good gifts. And so you think, you think hard, what kind of gift could I give the Queen of England? A woman that can have anything she wants, A woman that could go out and get anything she wants. What do you bring? What doesn't she have? What do you buy someone who has everything or can have anything she wants? Likewise, what kind of sacrifice do you bring to the Almighty God? The God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Is there any offering really perfect? I mean, they brought, the priests brought crippled and useless leftovers. But what if they had brought the best? Is that even really good enough for a perfect king? Is there any gift you could bring? Is there anything you could bring out of totally pure motives to God? Is there any money that hasn't been defiled? I mean, let's say you devote 90% of your waking hours to God's service. Is that 100? Is that perfect? And what's more, look at chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And God says, and now this admonition is for you, O priest. If you do not listen and if you do not set your hearts to honor my name, says the Lord God. In other words, if it's not really perfect, if it's not 100%, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not set your heart on honoring me. Wow. There's no perfect sacrifice that we can bring a perfect God. There's none. So today I want to tell you it's hopeless, so we should all just go home. Let's go. Benediction, we'll close. 
Jay's going to come sing a song he wrote. It's called It's Hopeless. Let's go home. It's a great song he wrote. It's a catchy tune. I can't sing it right now. But, uh, and we'll close and be done. Or is it hopeless? Or is it? The second sacrifice I want to talk about is the perfect sacrifice. There is a perfect sacrifice. Now, I'm going to flip over to the book of Hebrews quick like here. You don't have to follow me. You can if you want. But Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read. Just, just listen to verse 11, okay? Because the, the author of Hebrews describes this so well. Now, day after day, now we're in the New Testament, right? So this is after Jesus. Jesus already died, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven. The church is running and going. This is in resurrection power, he writes. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, what priest is he talking about? Jesus. He just got done talking about Jesus, the order of Melchizedek, and how Jesus is the true priest. He says, when that priest, this priest, had offered for one time, for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And then flip to 14. Because one, by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. When no sacrifice was perfect, when it was hopeless, when Jay was just about ready to sing his song and we were going to go home, when it was all hopeless, Jesus stepped in. God himself became the perfect sacrifice. Jesus, God in human form, the God of the universe became one of us. The only person not marred or scarred or distorted or defiled by the fall. The only one who ever lived. The only one not corrupted by sin. The only human being who could be a perfect sacrifice. So think about guilt. Maybe you've been weighed down by guilt. You know what you've done, you know? And you can't seem to get past it. Maybe guilt's your deal. The priests in Malachi's time sure should have had guilt. They sure should have known. Maybe you just find yourself in this cycle over and over and over again. This cycle of of going through and saying, okay, God, uh, I'm sinned and and man, that's sure bad. And and I feel awful about that. And so I'm going to try hard. I'm going to try really, really hard. God, now, from now, I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to try really hard. And I'm going to do all the things that I'm going to... I'm going to read my Bible, and I promise I'll go to church at least 25 times a year. And you know, God, I'm going to do awesome. Or maybe you'll get really good, and you'll get 52 a year. And you just, it's like, oh, this is great. I'm going to try hard. And then you try hard for a while, and then you fall into this cycle, and you go, I'm defiled. Anyone ever been on a diet? (laughs) You try really hard, you do great for a month, and then, oh, the pizza's too much. Okay, i got to stop thinking about food again. Um, So, everything's about food. So, I mean, you know this cycle, the cycle of defilement. And that's how Malachi points to Jesus. Jesus came to break that cycle. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He's the answer to all your defiled attempts to honor God. You see, the perfect sacrifice didn't stay dead. He rose. Jesus really did conquer the the grave and the resurrection is the proof that jesus is the perfect sacrifice he defeated death by conquering death 
He arose. He's alive today. I mean, you know, it's not just something we say. Jesus really exists and he's really alive and he's got a body that's living and he's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And this is amazing and awesome. This God is alive. And as Paul says, without the resurrection, our faith is in vain and it proves that everything is true. The resurrection proves it all. But that's not all the resurrection does. The resurrection changes everything about the way we live. I used to just think of the resurrection as a proof text. You know, it's like, okay, well, how do we know that, I mean, Jesus said he was the perfect sacrifice and all these biblical authors said he was the perfect sacrifice. And, and so how do we really know that when he died that he paid for our sins? And well, that's the resurrection. And so, you know, a lot of times, and I've done it in the past, we can talk about why the resurrection is true and all the proofs for the resurrection and all the historical proof we have that the resurrection is a real actual event because it all hinges on that and that's true but the resurrection is so much more than proof it's so much more it changes the way we live but jesus resurrection is so much more than the proof it's god's kingdom breaking through into this world when jesus rose from the dead his kingdom broke through the kingdom of heaven breaking through into this one and now everything is new Everything is different. You got a cycle of guilt. It's broken. You're forgiven. Death is defeated. You don't have to be defeated. Jesus is the one perfect sacrifice. He defeated death and hell once for all. He's perfect. No need for more. The perfect sacrifice gives us life. The people of Malachi were offering junk sacrifices. Jesus gave everything. And he changed everything. And this is what changes the way we live. It ought to change the way we live. I grow weary of Christians who don't understand that the resurrection changes everything. They, oh, I've been forgiven. Woo, great, I get to go to heaven. Awesome. Changes the way you live. Everything about us is different. We don't live hopeless. We don't live defeated. We don't live without purpose because the resurrection changes everything. We don't live with no sacrifice. We have the perfect sacrifice. We don't try to give an inferior sacrifice. He's the perfect one. And now, and now, we don't have a defiled sacrifice. We have the perfect sacrifice. And now, we become living sacrifices. Not a defiled sacrifice, because we have the perfect sacrifice. The last one I want to talk about today is the living sacrifice. The living sacrifice. Think about this. What sacrifice ever lived? I mean, if a sacrifice lived, something had gone wrong, right? The priest slits the throat, he drains the... uh, Sorry, it's graphic, okay? And so, uh, you know, he puts the animal on the altar. He takes some parts and uses them and burns them. He takes other parts and throws them away. And he does all this stuff. And and what animal ever survived that? There's no living sacrifice. That doesn't happen. Jesus was the first living sacrifice. And now you and I get to be living sacrifices. Jesus was the first sacrifice to live. He died, he lives. Now you and I are also living sacrifices through faith in Jesus. We die with Christ. We are raised with Christ. Now we live for Christ. 
By the way, Paul says this very thing in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you don't have to flip there. I think I put it right there. You can look on the screen. It says, therefore, Paul says, okay, he's just talked about all this great mercy of God. Peg, are you doing Romans? Where are you? There you are. Are you doing Romans in the women's Bible study? Next fall, maybe? If you want to go to the women's Bible study, you probably should be a woman. But if you want to go to the women's Bible study uh, next fall, I mean, she's going to dive into this. It's good stuff. In view of all of that, he says, and this great mercy of God, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The mercy of God through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead changes everything. The resurrection represents something fundamentally different than existed before the resurrection. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice and he destroyed the old way. And now we, the living sacrifices, we live in harmony with God. And we live in harmony with God's kingdom in this world When you and I live our lives as a sacrifice, we offer up ourselves to God, and He, in turn, uses us to bring the perfect sacrifice to the world. See, the resurrection frees you to live. It frees you to live. It's not about you going, okay, God, what's good enough for you? What's good enough? What do I need to do? What do I need to sacrifice to you? What what thing do I need to offer up? You're living sacrifices. He uses you as he wants to. So many Christians think, how am I going to sacrifice myself for God? We think, well, I'll sacrifice by being miserable. That's what I'll do. That'll make God happy. If I'm miserable, God will be happy. Or you think, I'll force myself to do something. Or I'll try harder to be a better person. I'll, you know, read my Bible more. I'll sin less. We just try to offer up all these sacrifices. And we've had a perfect sacrifices. Friends, God doesn't want you to do sacrifice. He wants you to be sacrifice. He doesn't want you to do sacrifice. He wants you to be sacrifice, a living one, one that lives. He wants you to present yourself to him. Then he'll do what he wants. We present ourselves to God and say, God, whatever you want. I'll put myself in place. Whatever you want, whenever you want, use me. I'm your sacrifice. We don't do sacrifice. We be sacrifices. And this is how the resurrection changes us. And this is why we're having Faith in Action Sunday in just three weeks. It's a way for us to say, we want to offer ourselves, God, do whatever you want with me. I've asked Pastor Jeff um, if he'd come, and he's going to bring up Kevin. Uh, Kevin Rutledge, maybe you, don't, you guys don't know Kevin. Um, Kevin's Canadian, and he's got a really cool voice. Um, and so... Uh, now he's not going to want to come up here. Come on up here, Kevin. And uh, I ask, Kevin's had some experience with this uh, faith in action stuff. Kevin comes to us and had some great experience. And I just asked Jeff if he would interview Kevin, um, about, kind of about that experience. This, this past Friday, I was on my way to meet Kevin, talking about faith in action. And I was listening to the radio. And on the radio, they were, they were talking about the Des Moines being one of the fastest growing cities in the nation. And we were in the top 10% of fastest-growing cities in the nation of the United States. 
And they said that the county that was growing the fastest was Dallas County, seventh place. And as I was sitting there at the intersection, right before meeting with Kevin, out of a suburb I saw brand new car after brand new car after brand new car pulling out of the, uh, one of the intersections. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I was just thinking, Faith in Action Sunday, why is it that we're doing Faith in Action Sunday in the middle of Waukee, a very affluent neighborhood? We could go to downtown. Let's go downtown and do something downtown. They really need us downtown. And then I just thought, you know what? If we go downtown and do that, then that's just kind of, it could be that we're patting ourselves on the back. It's that we're doing sacrifice. We're just kind of going downtown and we're forgetting about the people that we rub shoulders with. Here it is we have an opportunity in Waukee to be a living sacrifice, to go out and influence, uh, to rub shoulders with those in the neighborhood, and we might see them at Dolls. We might see them at Hy-Vee. We might rub shoulders. We might cut them off um, as we're driving in traffic. (laughs) And we have to be sacrifice. And so it's not that we're disconnecting. We're connecting with our community so that we can be sacrifice. I know Kevin has had an opportunity to do this at previous churches, and I just wanted to just, he, I, I've talked with him, Pastor Dave's talked with him, a couple other people have talked with him about what he's done at other churches. I just wanted you guys to hear what he's done, not to pat Kevin on the back. He, he'd be the first to say, I'm not here to pat myself on the back. But just to give an idea of what he's done at other churches and how that's influenced uh, the community. So just, uh, some, what are some of the things that you've done at previous churches where you've done a faith in action type of event in the community? What are some of the things that you've done? doing that downtown thing where we were taking our youth group downtown, feeding the homeless, things like that, and God laid it on my heart that we should be doing something in our own neighborhood because we came from that type of neighborhood where the fancy cars and the, you know, the, the nicely manicured lawns, and what were we doing for our own neighborhood? And so we... Uh, discovered some, uh, a book called Conspiracy of Kindness. And through this book, we found ways to reach out to our own community and take our youth at that time in, this, in the first church we did this in and take our youth uh, outside of themselves and reach out to our immediate community. And we did things like, very simple things, like going into a, a parking lot and washing all the car windows with squeegees and we went and did things like free car washes and lawn care, going and raking leaves, things of that nature. And uh, so just very, very simple things. But what they do, we found, is that they show God's love to people who may not understand fully yet what God, that God loves them through his sacrifice, but they do understand a God who loves them enough to send somebody to rake their leaves. And so this was a way... For us to to reach out from that from that church, we went into a church uh, that was a plant church, and we thought this is the perfect opportunity to take this church and move it outside the walls. And we were meeting in a community center, very similar sitting setting as this one, and we sort of thought to ourselves, and we I relayed this to you on Friday, is that you know. On a Sunday morning, nobody's driving down University Avenue and saying to themselves. Holy cow, there's a church. I think I'll go in. You know, it just really doesn't happen that often. But what we can do is we can take that church outside the walls 
And again, we did the same things. We'd go to a supermarket, and we, if it was a rainy day, and we'd do a, a, an umbrella escort of people out to their cars, or we'd, or we'd, uh, we gave out hot chocolate at the Christmas parade, and things, things that just, uh, things that you think those are so easy and so simple, and what kind of impact could they have? But they really do have a large impact on people. They do have an impact. You, you were sharing with me Friday morning about the car wash. Can you just share with these guys just kind of the the response of that person that you gave the car wash to. Yeah, we had a person that, that came for the car wash and they wanted to pay and they asked to pay and we wouldn't let them pay and they were almost in tears because they couldn't believe that somebody would actually do something for free for them like this. And they just, they just could not believe it. And we've had people that have asked for prayer while we've been doing this. One lady when we were doing the, the um, supermarket umbrella escort asked us to pray for her husband who had cancer and you know she had she had never asked anybody to pray for her before and so these kind of things were just you'd see this all the time that God moves God takes these simple things that we do and he turns them into something just fantastic and magnificent and some of these things that you're saying might be a little bit scary for somebody to do and well I I can't carry an umbrella for a totally total stranger, or I can't wash somebody's car, and they might yell at me or scream at me. If you're sitting down with somebody, you know, over coffee and just talking with them about the experiences you've had, what is one or two things that you might share with them to kind of ease those fears that that someone might have? Well, the first thing I'd tell them is pray, because if you don't cover this in prayer, it's useless. It's just you going out and basically being a Boy Scout. But this is more than that, and so we need to pray. We need to cover the whole thing in prayer. And so that would be the first advice I'd give somebody is pray about this. Make sure that you're covered, covered in prayer. And then remember that, you know, the second thing is remember you're not doing this alone. And I'm not talking about, the, you know, the rest of the people who are going to be out there doing this. I'm talking about the fact that, that God is going to be with you. Jesus is going to be with you. He wants us to be a go church. He wants us to be a church that goes. Because the Great Commission says, go. And then at the end of the Great Commission, it says, remember that I'm with you always. Right? So he's not sending us out alone. We're going out with him. And that's the only way that, we'll get, that this will make an impact, is, to, is by making sure that we remember that we're going with him. And then the third thing I'd say is if you're, you know, you're frightened, you may think, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Nobody's asking you to be a theologian. Nobody's asking you to be, I mean, a lot of the people you're going to meet, the last thing they need is to be preached at. Sorry, Dave. But, but they don't want that. But, they, but, they, but what they will accept is an act of kindness, and an act of kindness that, that shows them that, yes, okay, God is here. God does care because he sent somebody to meet my need at this time. And so just remember that, that we're not asking, nobody's asking you to be a theologian and have all the answers and, and stand on the street corner and preach to people. What they're asking you to do is take the talents that you already have, that God has given you, and use those for his glory. And just do the things that you're already good at. You know, if you're good at, at yard work, or you're good at house cleaning, or you're good at... at uh, any kind of, uh, I know that we got some, Kim and the, and the others are good with the, with the chainsaw. I mean, use those things that God has given you, the gifts he's already given you, that you're very confident in, 
and use those to serve him. And this is a very easy way to do that. In three weeks, today's April 8th, April 29, we're going to gather at the church office on North Warrior Lane, 9.30 in the morning, a half hour earlier, and we're just going to have a time of prayer and a, and a short, short, just a, maybe a song or two, just to send us out into the community. And we're going to have different teams that are going to go out. Some of the teams, I have no idea what those, some of those teams are. I'm, I'm waiting for God to show up. And that's against my nature because I'm a planner. I like to plan six months out. But God has not told me everything that we're going to do that Sunday morning. But I'm going to trust that over the next three weeks, God is going to make known how it is that he wants us to serve. He wants to know, are we available? Are we available to go out and serve the people of Waukee? Now, I do have a couple of teams that I'm trying to put together because I'm a planner and I have to do that. And it makes me feel better. So out on the table, back behind this concrete wall, there's a table out there with a faith and, faith and action sign. And there's a couple of teams that I'm, I'm working on putting together. And if you're interested in one of those teams, put your name down. If nothing, if nothing tickles your fancy on that, then let me know of something that maybe you can do in the community. Um, I was thinking maybe we can go down to Dolls and carry out groceries on Sunday morning. You know, there's, you know, 75% of the people that, that live in Waukee don't come to church on Sunday morning. There's people outside of our walls that just stay at home or they do something else on Sunday morning. They might go grocery shopping. Maybe we can carry their groceries out to their car. Maybe you're interested in that. Put your name down or see me after the service um, and just to see how it is that God is going to use us to serve the community of Waukee. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks, gentlemen. Um, so if you're like me, I mean, I don't know what your week was like this week. Uh, Sunday night was youth group. Monday night was uh, an awards presentation for Anna. Tuesday night was a band concert. Wednesday night was life group. Thursday night was softball practice. Friday night was Good Friday service. And, so, and then yesterday was like, you know, practice for worship team and all that. And you go, okay. I mean, this is, okay, what, how am I going to fit sacrifice in? Like, where is that going to go? And that's why I'm telling you, don't do sacrifice, be sacrifice. Faith in Action Sunday is about giving you opportunities and showing us and not only going out to our community and getting out of this building, but just living as a living sacrifice everywhere you go because that, that is what is pleasing to God. We don't sacrifice ourselves. We present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. We say in every day, in every way, in every place, use me how you see fit, Lord Jesus. This is what it means to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. It's about taking God's message of love and hope to a world that's hurting. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but we live in a hurting world. I mean, just think about people in your life. People whose marriages are falling apart. People who's are just struggling to make ends meet. People who are in serious conflict with their family. or People that are just, despair has overtaken them. And we have the message of hope, of the hope of Jesus. Getting back to Malachi, it's really interesting. As we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, just one more little quick thing out of Malachi and then we'll be done. In Malachi 1.11, when God is telling the priests, he's saying, you know, this lame sacrifice stuff is really lame. Uh, don't do that. 
He says, why? In verse 11, 111, my name, God says, will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord God Almighty. Did you know that you and I are the fulfillment of that? Through Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the kingdom breaking through today, as we're living sacrifices, we make God's name great. And that's why you were created. That's your purpose. You were made for this end. The resurrection enables you to do that. So today, be filled with hope. Be alive. Because he makes you alive. Let's pray. God, it's so amazing to be able to live under the hope of the resurrection, the power of new life, and to be living sacrifices. Would you please be pleased in every way with us? Let us live our lives in a way that makes us a, a pleasing fragrance an offering to you. Let us go from this place today in the power of the resurrection and use us to change the world for Jesus, to make your name great among the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.